Mac Power Users, episode 387, Workflows with Renee Ritchie. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm great, David. Great to be podcasting with you. And we have a guest with us today, long overdue, Renee Ritchie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Oh, are you kidding? You know, we, we love the stuff you do. We've been um, meaning to have you on the show forever. I saw you up at um, WWDC, and that was when I, we were able to corner each other and figure this out. And we are so happy to have you. Um, before we get into Renee's workflows, though, we just have a couple announcements. Um, I'm speaking at that Command D conference next month in August. Uh, so uh, there's tickets still available if you're going to be going to Silicon Valley in August. You should go check it out. There'll be a lot of great stuff there. Um, I'll be talking about workflows, but there's a lot of smart people talking about automation of your Mac and your iOS stuff. And uh, Katie, uh, you want to remind folks about our Ask Ask Us Anything, or what do you call it, AMA? Yeah, yeah, AMA, Ask Us Anything episode. So as as you guys may know, uh, Relay FM has a membership system where you can throw a couple of bucks at us and uh, support the host of this show and of all the great shows on Relay if you just choose to do show. But as the benefit, you get a couple of perks as being a Relay member, including all the shows on the network will be producing bonus episodes in August. Why August? Well, August is the anniversary month for Relay FM. Um, and so that's when we produce our bonus episode. So we are going to be doing a special bonus episode for Relay FM members only. So if you are not a Relay FM bonus member or Relay FM member, you still have time to sign up and get that episode. If you are a member, then we want you to ask us questions because for our bonus episode, we're going to do an Ask Me Anything style show. Now, we do have a request. Uh, we kind of prefer that those questions not be tech related because we do tech related stuff every week on Mac Power Users. So we thought it might be fun to do something a little different on the show this week. So ask us almost anything you want by sending it a question uh, in a tweet using the hashtag MPUAMA. Uh, we'll throw them up, sort them, see what comes out, um, and try to answer those on the bonus show. So there you go. Yeah, those questions are coming in. and They're awesome. That show's going to be really fun. It's going to be fun and in some points a little awkward, and I think it's going to be great. That's kind of how these uh, generally go. Okay. Um, so uh, folks, if you don't know Renee Ritchie, you probably should. Renee is the editor in chief over at iMore, which is one of the premier uh, websites covering Apple. Uh, he's a regular on MacBreak Weekly. How long have you been with MacBreak Weekly now, Renee? Oh, wow. Um, I, it, it all, it all blends together a few years, at least it was when Singleton, I actually got the job while I was at Singleton. Uh, and that's, that hasn't been happening for a few years. So it must be like four or five years by now. Well, Renee's just a, super witty guy and really smart, really connected. I One of the things I always like about Renee's coverage of Apple is uh, he's often the guy that puts the sanity hat on. You know, when everybody starts <laughs> going crazy, Renee's the one who usually gets to the bottom of what's going on. And usually things aren't nearly as drastic as you think in either direction. It's not as awesome as you think it is. It may not be as terrible as you think it is. Renee's the one who actually finds out what's going on. Friend of the sh friend, well, friend of everybody, Don Melton, who created Safari for Apple, once said that anything you ascribe to malice is more op more often ascribed to stupidity. So I think that's a good barometer. Having practiced law twenty five years, I can absolutely agree <laughs> with that. Usually, it's something dumb, not something villainous. 
Um, and, and I always think of you as our friend from the North. I, I, I don't know if I've ever said on the show, but the closest I have to any ethnicity is French Canadian. My, my grandfather was from La Salle up in Quebec. Oh, fantastic. And, and uh, I grew up, in fact, when I was a kid, I knew how to curse very well in French because I spent a lot of time with him. So yeah, it's not based on, on sexuality or on anything else. It's personally religious, like tabernacle and chalice and host are all the most vile curse words you can use in Quebec, and we're, we're fine with that. Well, I was fluent in them, and it turns out my kindergarten teacher was also fluent in them, which ha. led to all sorts of hijinks in my life. Yeah. I actually so. got to eat soap when I was a kindergartner. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we can do that now. Yeah, my, my parents were old school, man. <laughs> but the, uh, I asked my mom about it years later, and she's like, that's nothing compared to what I did to my father. <laughs> my <laughs> grandfather. <laughs> anyway, but, but one of the things I love about Renee, in addition to being the voice of sanity so often, is Renee writes a lot of words. I cannot get over, like, I was at uh, WWDC. I was going to the same party as Renee was. I knew this guy had a busy social schedule that week. And then I'd wake up in the morning and find like 3,000 words on the new iMac. And I'm just thinking, this we got to get this guy in the show and find out how he does all this. So that was rough. I mean, the the thing with the iMac, they don't, they don't always, in fact, they don't typically do hardware at WWDC. It's usually the new operating systems. And I, I don't, I remember a couple times they've announced new products like new MacBook Pros that have shipped immediately. But this was very much, this is the new iMac. We think your readers will appreciate two of them, both the low-end and the high-end one. The embargo is tomorrow at 8 a.m. By the way, it's 6 p.m. now. Is that a problem? Yeah. Go nuts. Yeah. And, and you and, just didn't deliver like two paragraphs. You, I, I think it was several thousand words what you ended up publishing. Yeah, that that was there was a couple all nighters at WWDC, and that was one of them. But I I just love this stuff, and it's yeah, we can, we'll get into this more later. But it's almost like a compulsion at this point. I just I, the stuff goes into my head, and I have to get it out. Well, maybe we should start with hardware then. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about what hardware you're driving these days. So I I have the good fortune of reviewing almost everything. So I really it's it's an embarrassment of riches. I get to try out everything and see what suits me. And because it's literally my job, I get to buy a lot of things. And I, I should preface it by saying that that's how I spend my money. I don't go on vacations and I don't, you know, I don't drink lots of beverages and I don't do a lot of other things that some people do with their money. I buy, I tend to buy a lot of geeky gadgety stuff. When I had, when I bought a second iPad, Katie was giving me a hard time. I'm like, Hey, I don't play golf. I, I just, yes, I collect iPads. <laughs> uh, that's totally, and also like I give them when I'm not using them, I give them to my family, and it's sort of like it feels like you know it it trickles down, it benefits that way. Uh, but my pri- uh, I use an iPhone uh, Seven Plus for almost everything now. I went right away to the Plus model as soon as it was introduced because iPhone had just become such a primary device uh, for everything that I was doing that I wanted as much screen as possible. And I know that's really common in countries where they're going mobile first and they're going phone first for computing in general, but it, it just, I could, I could update my website from the mall if an emergency happened. If a server went down, I could take care of it by pulling over into a nearby parking lot. And it, it reminds me of, you know, my father used to, was an engineer at IBM and he installed a lot of the early train and plane systems. And I remember when he bought an Apple II Plus for, for my family when I was a child, he said, you know, this stops me having to drive downtown to IBM and use the mainframe. And I really related to that. And then I figured out that when I had the iPhone, it stopped me having to run back to my Mac all the time. That's interesting to me that when I asked you what's your, what hardware are you driving, the first device you talked about is your iPhone. 
I mean, it's not where I do most of my work, but it's the one that I use the most. And it's it's just everything. It's keeping in contact with people. It's I, I, I use Siri for a lot of things. Siri has made me too lazy to type, which is horrible. Like I still type on a computer, but I'm too lazy to type on a virtual keyboard. So even if uh, if I have an idea for an article and I'm driving, I'll just, you know, tell Siri to take a note and start talking. And it's it's not in usable form, but it's usable enough that I can transform it when I get back, thanks to Again, what we'll talk about later, the miracle of NoteSync, for example. So the iPhone is in your pocket at all times? Yeah, in my pocket or next to me or sitting down. Because, again, the, the voice command was really transformative because I don't have to actually have it in my hands all the time. I can still ask it to do things, ask it for information, and tell it things, and it'll respond. won't always get it right, which is frustrating, um, but it will respond and at least let me get a basic amount of things done. You must love the AirPods, then. Uh, yeah, totally. The AirPods were great. Uh, and again, I, embarrassment of riches, I had, the, I, I had the privilege of having them when Apple first announced them. So I became, you know, and it took them a while to ship them, but I just became so engrossed in using them uh, just for everything. And they're light. And they, most earphones don't fit in my ears because of years of grappling. My ears are all mangled, but these stayed in. So I, I really enjoy them. Now you've had an opportunity to use pretty much all of the different iPhone models. I know you've you got to you've done pretty comprehensive reviews of the the seven and the seven plus, um, and and you've chosen my understanding is to go with the plus size phone, correct? Yeah, I I I love the I love all of them. I spent time with the SE, which is like the souped up five S. If people aren't familiar with that model, and I, I used a seven for a while, uh, and before that the six S and the six. Uh, but what I like the bigger screen, but what cinched it for me was the camera on the 7S uh, because you, I, I, I haven't picked up my... And I know like it's not the same as a DSLR and the quality is not the same and the noise is much higher, but uh, I used to shoot with a Canon 5D Mark III all the time and I have absolutely not picked it up since I've gotten this phone. And that is just one... It's like, you know, like Elton Brown and Unitaskers. It's just one more thing I could put on the shelf and not have to carry with me. Yeah, I, I've been having an ongoing email chain with a listener because I, I recommended that DXO one lens a couple of years ago, and uh, he just went to Africa and he used the DXO. I mean, he also brought his big boy cameras, but I just don't see any need. I, I know there's folks out there who are hobbyists who love big cameras, and I I don't begrudge you that. As we started the show, we all have our you know things we like to buy, but man, w- the camera is so good at this point. When you just add a few features to it, maybe a lens like the DXO or even just that dual lens system and the 7S, it is really hard to make the case for me to carry another camera. Uh, and I have like I have the, a ton of lenses. I spend a lot of money on glass, and I have you know like the zooms and the low, and the macros and all those. And I, I still miss some of those. Uh, and I obviously I can't go and, and shoot a soccer match very well or sports or things like that. Uh, because I just I can't get the optical zoom level on an iPhone yet, and you know with I can get some lenses like the Olaclip for the macro level stuff, but more and more it's just it it can do things. And even now with iOS 11, it does much better low light on things like portrait mode. And I've taken portrait mode pictures of my God kids that are just breathtaking to me, um, and I would be happy to get those off of a DSLR. I would. It's interesting to me because my wife is my um, she's like my canary in a coal mine. Is she's a normal person. She. She's never been a camera nerd and, um, and she never took, she never was aware of the idea of bokeh and the idea of soft focus. And so the first exposure she's had to it was with the iPhone 7S camera. She has the, the big one too. And she takes some amazing shots with it because she never learned the rules and limitations of it when it was uh, in glass. So now she just knows it through software. And I would argue that she takes better pictures with that portrait mode than I do. 
It's disintermediation. And the, the crazy thing is, it's just the beginning of computational photography. It's the first sort of things they figured out to do is the digital zoom, or I guess the fusion zoom and uh, portrait mode. And I'm super eager to see what they do next with those systems. Well, we're already getting a little peek with uh, with the uh, was a High Sierra in photos. I believe we're going to have the ability to loop and do some interesting things with those those time lapse photos. And the HEIF, HEIF, whatever it stores the um, the depthy data as part of the image, so that you no longer need separate images. It's not burned in anymore. You can play with it and do different things. And even some of the photo filters in iOS 11 will do different effects based on the depth data now, which is super cool. Yeah, and and just so for folks listening at home that aren't aware. He's referring to the new image file format that Apple's created a whole new image file format. So it's going to be more efficient. It's going to save space and give your your software more power over your pictures. I just love the stuff Apple's doing in photography. I, I think I heard you say once that you, I think you wrote a story once that there's something like 200 people or something working on the, the photo system for Apple. or It's like some massive number. of Yeah, it's like, it's a, I think. I don't know what the exact number is now, but it's in the hundreds of people. And they're super serious about that division. They have some of their best talent. They moved over from other places in Apple to work on the camera system. And that's, you know, from people who do the deep, deep engineering, uh, who work on uh, on the physics systems, who work on the design. They think that stuff through and they try to test for as many edge cases as possible, which I really like. How will someone shoot if they're, you know, in a shopping, they're in a bar and it's late and they want to get that picture of the birthday party. And they just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot everything to try to get the best shots they can. All right. Well, so before we move on to your other Apple hardware, case or no case? I, I, so I have to test a lot of cases. Um, and I should say, like, I know I use Pixels, too. I, I, I've had every Nexus phone uh, that they've put out. And I, I just I can't do it because to me, my, my background is in design. And this just feels like such a designed object that uh, I, I have the smart battery case for the iPhone 7 because I like the idea of, I, I love the engineering of that case. Not the design, the design is super ugly, but just the way they managed to get power efficiency um, out of that case is miraculous to me. So I, I have that, but most of the time I just have nothing on my phone when I'm, you know, when I'm not testing something. Now, what about the iPad? Are you rocking a new 10.5 inch or did you decide to go with something bigger? I got both the review, so I went back and forth. I spent um, about a week and a half with the 10.5, and then about a week with the 12.9. Uh, and with the previous 12.9, I used it for a long time uh, because you know there was no 9.7 inch Pro then, and I really like it. But to me, they're 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 sort of a line in the middle of them, and while they do blur a little bit, to me the 12.9 is sort of like it's not a laptop replacement, but it's a laptop alternative. Uh, and when I traveled with that, I did not travel with a MacBook or a MacBook Pro. I just took that and I used it everywhere on tray tables, in coffee shops, in hotels, everywhere. But with the, the 9.7 and now the 10.5, to me, it's like a, it supplements it. So I do travel with a MacBook. And this is it, it's almost like the perfect um, hybrid where the 12.9, if you pull it off the, key, the case, it's a big tablet. But the 9.7 and the 10.5, you pull those off the keyboard and it's a, it's just an iPad. It's exact. It's, it's almost exactly like the iPad that Steve Jobs introduced years ago. And it really does go from that tray table, table, whatever typing experience to I'm holding it to watch a movie or play a game or surf the web or something. And it, I think it does that better than any other device on the market. So these days, because I have a MacBook Pro with me, I'm, I'm keeping the 10.7 with me. Yeah, it is a nice device. And I think it's it's going to peel off a few people that were 12.9 converts because it's just that little extra space. I think that 
the biggest note for me is the keyboard. It's just easier to type on it. Both the attached smart keyboard and the on-screen keyboard, just that little extra width really makes a difference. It felt to me like, because I, I, I can type on almost anything after, like I just forget what I'm typing on uh, after a while. But when I started using the 10.5, it's like when you get a new pair of shoes and it's just a qu- and it's just a quarter size or a half size bigger, and you never really realized your old shoes were tight, but suddenly these are just so much more comfortable and you notice it when you go back. And then on the Mac side, you you have a laptop, right? Yeah, well, I have an iMac that I do podcasting on uh, just because I have it set up so that it's it's on Ethernet all the time. And it, it's what has my primary uh, photos library on it. And it's backed up. And, it, you know, it's, it's just that immovable object that I can be safe and secure with. Uh, but for most of my work, you know, everything from uh, my day-to-day job to just traveling around, I use the MacBook Pro, the 13-inch with the touch bar. Yeah. One thing I resonate with you is, like you said earlier, you're kind of keyboard agnostic. I've, I've, all the stuff I've read that you've written, you've never been real fiddly about your keyboards. I don't like the big clickety clacky one. So I have a ton of, again, from grappling, I have a ton of RSI problems or just joint problems in general. And I found that the more physical effort I need to type, the more it bothers me. I can do it. It's not unpleasurable. It's just over time, I feel, I feel somewhat like the, the, the fatigue from it. So low travel is not an issue for me. In fact, I prefer it. Uh, And so I I like the current MacBook Pro keyboards. They're absolutely fine for me. I use the smart keyboard all the time. And I do notice it the first few minutes I'm using it. But afterwards, I'm so engrossed in what I'm doing, I kind of forget whatever I'm typing on. Katie, have you come around on your 13-inch MacBook Pro keyboard? Are you still... Still not I, a fan. I, I will tell you, I've come around on the keyboard in terms of the travel and the size and things like that. I, I still am not sure that I've come around on the utility of the, the touch bar. I like having touch ID. That's That's been helpful. I, I don't know that I have any use at all for the touch bar. If, if they would make one that has the same feature or the, the same otherwise set of features and has touch ID uh, and a little less expensive, I would probably opt for that any day because I, I have not found a real use for the touch bar. Are, are you using the touch bar at all, Renee, or is it just me? I, uh, you know, it's it sort of, I use it happenstantially. It's like some, I'm typing away and most of the time I forget it's there because I just, I hit like the, the escape, you know, now it's, it's two arrow keys to, to make a video smaller again or I hit one of the buttons for brightness and it doesn't really, I don't really care that it's a touch bar or, or a keyboard, but once in a while I'm trying to remember what a shortcut is and I look at it and I see the control. It's like in final cut because I don't use it often enough that it's muscle memory Photoshop I've used for years. So all those commands, they're just, I just use the keyboard shortcuts, but programs like logic, uh, because we have an editor now for our podcast, so I don't have to use them that often and final cut, which I don't use that often. There, I just look and I see the tool that I want and I don't have to remember the shortcut and I just tap on it. Or I look and I see the emoji I want and I don't have to do the, the incantation with the keyboard. So if, if it was gone, I wouldn't miss it. I would miss Touch ID, like you said. Uh, I've, you know, it's just, it's so great an experience. I don't want to lose it. If it was gone, I wouldn't notice it. But because it's there, I use it whenever I, you know, whenever I think about it. Yeah, I had to disable the Siri. I kept triggering Siri on it because it was too close to the you know, the button you hit for touch ID. Every time I wanted to touch ID, Siri would pop up. So that was an issue for me, but I, yeah, I, I think I'm with Renee there. I, I like it, but I don't, I don't think I need it. Well, that's the big problem with this kind of technology. And you see it with 3d touch too, is that because not every Mac has it, they can't make it integral to the experience. And because it's not integral to the experience, you don't need it. And because you don't need it, you don't force it. Like it's just, it's like a vicious cycle of uselessness. 
then the question is whether this will continue to be supported because we we didn't see it come out on any new Macs uh, at WWDC. We didn't see it come out on an external keyboard. I think if it just stays on a few Macs on the Mac Pro line, we're going to find that it's not going to be very commonly adopted and then it's just going to be a feature that just kind of lingers. Yeah, I think they were, I think they expected, I think they liked it a lot. Like the people who worked on it at Apple, they worked on it for a decade. It took a long time. Uh, it was big project and i think they thought it they people would just love it and embrace it and when that didn't happen it probably caused a moment of pause and now they're thinking you know did we did we miscalculate did we not evangelize it properly have we not given people the right um tools to use it or was it just the wrong idea and based on what we see next either it'll be like the uh, ipad sorry the ipod shuffle with no keys that they very quickly reverse on or it'll be like something they build on and try to make a better case for over time and once again, like looking at my wife as the, the example of the non-nerd, she thinks it's great because she doesn't know all the keyboard shortcuts and it's easier to go down and press a button on the keyboard than it is to use the mouse and find the keyboard, you know, the bold to make something bold. And the timelines are great, like timelines on Logic and Final Cut. You just, you just swipe through stuff. And I love the tabs on Safari because it's much faster to swipe across tabs on the touch bar than it is to actually, you know, manually click through tabs. But it's it you don't think about doing it because some of my Macs don't have it. So yeah, this, this wouldn't be the first feature that super nerds are not all that excited about, but normal people love. So I don't know. I, I, I do think, and we'll move on, but one, one feeling I have on this is that I think that certain app developers are doing a better job of implementing it than others. I'm, I'm not a big fan of just replacing all the keyboard shortcuts with buttons, but you'll see some apps like some of the calendar apps. I know fantastic Health does this where, it shows you days in the next week where you can just tap on it and it'll jump to that day. Um, I find myself using it where they're doing something different than just replacing a keyboard shortcut with a button. I absolutely agree because it, it is a new input methodology. And I think when people embrace that, you get real value out of it rather than just sort of, oh, what can we throw on here and, be, and, and check, check off the support box. And every time I go on my iMac and I have to unlock one password with an actual password like an animal. Like an animal. As opposed to just putting my finger... <laughs> on a button i it makes me insane so that that's another thing that we need to get on well with. it makes you so like i remember when the iphone had touch id and the ipad did not and it took me forever to unlock my ipad because i'd put my finger on it leave it there wondering why touch wonder why touch id didn't work remember it didn't have touch id then press it down and then go type in my pad and that whole process took much longer than either the passcode or touch id by itself this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by one password Use 1Password for families to get the 1Password managers that's a deal for your whole household. When 1Password released 1Password for families, I immediately signed up for the Sparks household. With 1Password for families, up to five people can join and have individual accounts on a single subscription. They don't even have to belong to the same household. So what do you get for that subscription? First, you get access to 1Password on all of the 1Password-supported devices like iPhones, iPads, Macs, Android, and Windows. So whatever devices your family members are using, they can have safe and secure passwords. And you get that underlying 1Password engine with all the great tools we've talked about in the past, like the ability to automatically track passwords for all your different websites, how to generate safe and secure passwords for you, and basically give you your cake and allow you to eat it too with very safe and secure passwords that don't require a lot of work to maintain. But you get more with 1Password for families. You get 1Password on the go. This lets you sign into your account and view and edit your items using a web browser. 
You get secure documents, which allows your family to get one gigabyte of encrypted storage for documents. So if you've got some specific medical records or even estate planning documents that you want to have safe and secure, you can store them in the one gigabyte of encrypted storage. You also get item history backup, so you can go back in time up to one full year and recover passwords. You get the Watchtower service that gives you around-the-clock alerts whenever there's a security breach with one of the services you use, and you get 1Password's 24-7 support. 1Password for Families was the easiest way for my family to safely share passwords. We have shared vaults, and we don't share all our passwords with each other, just the ones that make sense, but this allows us to do it in a safe and sane way. When I change the Netflix password, I just update it once and everybody automatically gets it. Another benefit for me is that my girls are really learning about password security early in life and they get it. I think that can only help them going into the future where our internet security is going to be critical to all of us. So normally one password for families is $4.99 a month. That's what I paid for it. Uh, you get unlimited passwords, one gigabyte of secure storage, the award-winning apps, and 24-7 support for up to five people. But you get a better deal if you go over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps. You're going to get 20% off. Once again, head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps, get 20% off one password, and make your family safer today. So, Renee, you're probably best known for your your gig over at iMore. You are the editor-in-chief over there, and if people haven't, they should definitely check it out. Um, tell us a little bit about how you landed at iMore and the story there. So it's, it's kind of hilarious slash embarrassing in hindsight. I was working in product marketing for a long time, and I love product marketing, but I was working for an enterprise database company, and it's not the most exciting thing in the world. Like I could explain why Bitbecker tokenized databases, which is the best solution for everything, but uh, it wasn't fun. And at the same time, I loved smartphones. Um, I was writing, and I wanted to be able to write no matter where I was, so I, I had Palms, and I had Windows Mobile, uh, and I just I thought they were great. And there was a website called Trio Central that I really liked. And then like a lot of people, I watched the iPhone announcement and it was magic. I'd never seen anything like that before. And before I was in product marketing, I worked in design. So I was, the interface was uh, enthralling to me. And the company that ran Trio Central, Trio Central had started Phone Different as their iPhone sort of centric smartphone site. They also had CrackBerry for BlackBerry and WM Experts for Windows. So they tried to, they decided they needed to have something for the iPhone. And I was reading it, and then I noticed that it stopped being updated. And I I sort of made a, a, a snarky comment, because that's what you do with comments. You snark in them about, like, why is it taking so long? And the person who was running that company back then, or at least the, the blog part of it, was Dieter Bowen, who's now um, managing editor at The Verge. But he was running this back then. And he was like, well, if you don't like it, why don't you write some of the news? And I said, sure. Um, and so he very kindly walked me through the basics, and I started writing for them. And he was really busy because he was running the Palm stuff, which became WebOS Nation, and he was running the, Win the Windows stuff, which became Windows Central. And I was still, I was always bothering him. And he said, well, well, if you don't like it, why don't you just run the site? And I said, okay, great, sure. And then he was very <laughs> kind and showed me how to do that. And I was doing it at the same time as my other job for a while. And then it was after WWDC, I forget which year, uh, he left and went to The Verge, and the person who took it over, Kevin Mitchelluk, who uh, started CrackBerry, but uh, now is chief operating officer for Mobile Nations, uh, he decided that he really thought that the industry was taking off and he wanted full-time people to run all of the sites. So we had a meeting and said, does this make sense? And uh, 
product marketing is really, really good money, uh, but it, it wasn't soul fulfilling. Like it was, it was really boring and I had to commute and I was stuck in traffic all day. And it, I just decided that for my like, life was more important than money. So I made the switch and I went full time. Um, and back then it was different. Like we didn't, but now there's a staff at iMore, you know, Serenity Caldwell runs the day to day and there's like four, five, six writers um, working on stuff all the time. But back then it was like, we, like the, the person who ran the site did about 10 articles a day. Like they just did almost everything with a few other people here and there. So it was a, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I sort of started doing it and never looked back. Yeah. I think sometimes it's funny because you can, they say you can't put a price on happiness. You really can. Yeah. we you have a job that pays X and you find a job that you really would be better for you and be happier, but it pays X minus that's the cost of happiness. And I basically, I basically complained myself into this job. Well, <laughs> it, it seems to have worked well for you. Now, one of the things that I, I really like about iMore, I love your in-depth how-tos. I, I can't tell you how many times, you can imagine in Mac Power users, we get a lot of questions from people. Hey, can, can, and they're kind of tech support related in nature. Can can you explain to me how this specific thing works or or how do I do this? And I will tell you most of the time, I, instead of going to, to write something myself, I'm like, let me just Google this. I bet there's a how-to <laughs> on this. And I would tell you probably 90% of the time, there's a how-to that is written by iMore. So how do you guys figure out kind of the balance of coverage? And it, it seems like that shifted a little bit the last maybe six months or so. Yeah. I mean, so uh, that all started out of spite because Dieter back then said, there's no way you'll be able to write a how-to every day because uh, people tried it. It was popular, but just no one stuck with it because the news is sort of uh, what gets everybody going. You know, that's the exciting part of it, the news and the rumors. Uh, And because he said I couldn't do it, we were determined that we were going to do it every day. Uh, And it just became more and more popular and more and more beneficial. And I, I, I don't like, I have nothing against rumors per se, but I find a lot of time... Uh, it doesn't help people. Like if if I tell you a rumor about what iPhone nine is going to be, like you'll be like, oh, that's cool. But it's sort of like telling you who Luke's father is in Empire when you haven't seen it. Like when you finally watch the movie, it's like ah, you know. So you're like people are watching all these keynotes, going ah, it's boring. It's because you read the script, and I and you know, and it just it didn't sit well with me. So I thought there was a way that we could do iMore without being focused the way that a lot of other rumor sites. And I also never wanted iMore's homepage to look like another website. I thought, you know, they already, like some sites already do that fantastically well. I don't want to be the third best at anything. So we sort of went into the how-tos and it was at the same time that Apple mainstreamed the smartphone and it wasn't just a bunch of, you know, early adopters using them. It was everybody. And it turns out there's no such thing as a dumb question. Like people just don't know how to use this stuff. There was no lesson. There's no book. You're not taught how to do it when you buy it. And if we would write an article, chances are someone would find that article and find it helpful. Uh, so it was a couple of years ago that we started going into it more, um, more directly, like just like doing like two a day instead of doing one a day. Uh, and then we started lowering the amount of news that we don't news. Like it's kind of reblogging. It's not really news. Like there's very few people doing true investigative reporting in the gadget industry. A lot of it is like Wall Street Journal writes something and then 19 other sites write a link to it or something, which can be good. But again, it was just so many people were doing it. It didn't seem like an important thing for us to do. So we just ended up focusing more and more on that. And now we try to balance it where we have a couple how-tos a day. Uh, we talk about apps a couple times a day. We write editorials because, you know, that stuff is at least is original. Like if we can provide context uh, around something or, you know, help fact check it, uh, and that was really thanks to Jim Dalrymple, because I wasn't sure how we should be covering things. And he's like, well, if a rumor is not true, you should just tell people it's not true. 
you know, don't just ignore it. And so he really helped inform uh, how we cover a lot of the other stuff. And that's ho- hopefully that, that sort of leads to the balance that we have now. Well, you're definitely the the source of Pokemon information. That was weird. So that's a funny story. Um, Pokemon Go launched and Serenity Caldwell uh, was out playing the game. This was before I played it at all. She started like a week before I did. And she was trying to figure out how to do something and she Googled it and the information was wrong. Um, and there's nothing worse for Serenity Caldwell than to find wrong information on the internet. So she sat down and on her iPhone wrote like a couple articles about it. And the way Google works, I mean, I'm sure people generally know how Google works, but the way Google works is if there's a surge demand for content and they can't fill it because, you know, it doesn't exist yet. Like Pokemon Go was brand new and there was very little web information available about it, but there was incredible demand immediately. Like if you ever look, go back and look at the Google Trends uh, graph for Pokemon Go demand, it eclipsed everything. iPhone, politics, uh, sex, everything on the internet was obliterated by this. They started throwing everything at us. And, you know, if for a while, we were like one of the biggest sites on the internet just based on Pokemon Go traffic. Uh, it, it was bigger for us than iPhone that year. Like, not enormously so, but it was bigger for us than iPhone that year. And Google ascribed authority to us for that. So we figured we could either... I got it out this morning on my walk because I knew we were going to talk to you. And I felt like I had to be up on my Pokemon. I hadn't hadn't loaded it for a long time. And I found a whole bunch of new ones in my neighborhood. And I'm going to have to read your site. Yeah. And I mean, we just we decided we could either back away from it um, or we could lean into it. And one of the things is, again, we found like a lot of the sites that were showing up in Google were sort of aggregate sites where they would just pull information from Reddit and wrap it in a bunch of ads. And it was terrible. And I didn't want to read that. So I figured at least if we were writing it, we could make the articles we wanted. How do you guys decide what to cover on on iMore? Because, it, it you know, you, you talked a little bit about Pokemon, but it it seems like, uh, you know, sometimes it's how to, sometimes it's relevant news, sometimes it's releases, some, you know, sometimes it's it's deals. Is is there an equation that goes into that? It's Is, is it just kind of what you're interested in, then you assign out stories? How, how do you figure out the mix? So we have a lot of stakeholders at iMore. Like the way the way it works now at Mobile Nations, and I'll, I'll just back up and explain this a little bit. So um, I transitioned away from just iMore about one or two years ago. So I'm doing editorial planning for iMore Android Central Windows Central, CrackBerry, the Mobile Nations Network. And Serenity is running sort of the day-to-day editorial content on iMore. She's the managing editor there. And we have Chris uh, Mank, uh, who used to run everything pre, everything iOS, all those sites. He joined us a few years ago, and he's responsible for, like, accessories content. And we have uh, some people who we have Daniel uh, De Silva, who used to be at 9to5toys, and he does our Thrifter, which is uh, an associated website. Same owners, not the same network, um, just because they wanted it to have room to grow. But he does all the deal stuff. And uh, my boss is a, a like, our CEO is a remarkable guy. He's incredibly young. He started Handspring Central or Visor Central when he was in high school because he was just enamored with the technology. He coded our original CMS. He still codes every day. Um, and he just wants people, he just wants us to provide a service. Never asked me about page rank. Never asked me about page hits, anything about that stuff. Uh, he just, like, he'll yell at me if an article isn't good, but that's about the only thing he'll yell at me for. Uh, and he, he just wants us to provide a service. And that service can be, we'll get you the be- we'll tell you when AirPods are available. We'll tell you the best price for Beats. Uh, we'll help you. We sort of break it down to pre-purchase and post-purchase. So, like, if you, if, if you want to buy a new Mac, we have to do everything we can to make sure you get the best Mac for you. And then once you buy that, we have to do everything we can to make sure you get the most out of it. And we figure if we can do those two things, then you'll have the best experience possible uh, and you'll hopefully come back to us for more. 
you've got a lot of people working on this and you're responsible for multiple sites. How do you guys manage the workflows and the assignments? And you know, how do you manage all this stuff? So we use a bunch of different tools. The first one is Trello, um, which if people aren't familiar with it, Trello is sort of you make lists and you have items in each list and you can move the lists around. You can move the items around. Uh, and we use a system where we have a bunch of different categories that, for example, iPhone is a category and it has a board and it has everything that we have written about it and everything we do want to write about it. And we prioritize it there. And then we have sort of a publication process where we stage what's going to be written two weeks out, one week out, what's in progress right now, what's been drafted, what's been proofed, uh, what's been published. And we sort of move things through that work through that workflow. So for example, if, um, if I've been assigned to write about uh, iPhone 8's uh, face ID rumor, then that article will be in Trello with my face on it. It'll be coded for iMore because that way we know what site it's going up on. It doesn't go up on Android Central by accident. Uh, and I, I, I'll open that card. I'll start writing the article. When that article has been drafted, I'll stick the link in there. It'll move over to completed. And then the copy editor or the tech reviewer or you know whoever else is in charge of it next will check it off. And when that's done, it'll move over to, you know, I forget what it's called, signed off on or uh, ready for publication or something. And then once it's live on the site, the person who put it live will move it over to published. Okay. So we've talked about Trello in the past. I use it too, to run several of my things I have helpers with. Um, Let's get in weeds just a little bit. Like when you get that article on the iPhone eight face recognition. uh, So you have, you have somewhere on the web, you've stored the text and then it goes to the next person how does that person know that it's their turn now to deal with that card? So I typically write in notes these days. I, one thing about my workflow is I'm continually driving towards simplicity. So I want fewer. I want to touch fewer apps less often, as much as possible. So I write in notes these days. And once I've finished writing it in notes, I'll check it over. And then I'll paste it into our CMS. Uh, iMore has had the most storied history um, of our sites because it started off in movable type, moved to WordPress. Um, and now it is in Drupal. All our sites are in Drupal now. So I'll go and I'll, I'll paste it into the CMS and I'll save it. And then I'll take the link that's generated by Drupal or I'll make a custom link for it. I'll stick that in the Trello card and I'll move that over to drafted. And then we have duty editors, um, which is a similar process to what other sites do. Uh, and there's a, uh, whoever it is duty editor that day, every card has a due date on it. They'll go and look at the cards that are due that day. They'll pick it up and take it from there. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that, because a lot of people use Trello in combination with Slack and other services, and I do think it gets overly complicated. We use Slack, too. So uh, we use Slack as sort of our virtual office because we're a, a virtual company. We had an office in uh, Miami um, originally, and that's where everyone was based. But I work out of Montreal. The person who runs Windows Central is in Boston. Serenity is in you know, the, the New England area. Uh, we have people all over the place. So Slack is sort of like we have a room for iMore, a room for Android Central. Uh, we have an announcement room. And that's sort of what we do in lieu of actually all being in the same office together. Do you guys do like video calls or like have FaceTime with each other? We Yeah, there's sadly no FaceTime conference calls still. And I don't know if that's because of all the patent lawsuits over FaceTime, but we use Google Hangouts for that. The whole company runs off of Google accounts, uh, which is not my favorite because I, you know, I, I I just I have paranoid privacy problems with all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, my boss loves it. So that's what we use. And we all have, uh, you know, so we use Google Docs and we use Hangouts and Google Mail and Calendar and all that stuff to do the the basics of daily management. You know, it's amazing. We talk to a lot of folks that are in, in companies with people all over the place. 
And almost everyone that's doing it successfully has one of the, the a FaceTime or a Google Hangout. They have a they have a call where people are in front of cameras looking at each other on a pretty regular basis. It's humanizing. Is one of the things with text is that it, it's impossible to read tone, and also it's almost like wearing sunglasses to the extreme, where you just sort of get this confidence about you, where you don't mind being blunt. Uh, even unnecessarily at times. And we found that if we don't do those regular calls, people just get increasingly snippy and snarky with each other. But the minute you're face to face, you know, that all melts away and you remember that you're all human and you sort of relate better again. Now, do you have scheduled calls like we do this every Monday at 10 a.m. or do you do them kind of when you feel like it's needed? I mean, especially when you're managing a team that's spread out all over. I mean, do you have set set times where you have people check in or where you check in with people? How much structure do you keep with it? So we have a we have what we call a skeleton of structure, and that is like we have senior staff once a week, and then each site has a meeting uh, once a week, and then we'll do other meetings sort of for projects as we need them. So for example, if WWDC is coming up, we'll schedule two calls, one sort of a few weeks out to get a rough idea of what we want to do, and then one just in advance to make sure we've got all the pieces in place, and those sort of spring up. But one of the th- a couple of things we do. Um, that my my boss Kevin, our COO, established is we use Make Time, which is a there's a great Google video on it that I'll find the link for. But basically, it's like you want to create space for people to have to be uninterrupted because if people are just pinging you in Slack all the time or calling you into meetings all the time, it it depends on your style. Some people are fine with it. Anyway, some people can study and rock and roll. It's fine, but uh, for a lot of people, it's disruptive. So we do this thing where from the beginning of the morning until 1 p.m. Eastern time, we've standardized on Eastern time for everybody. You just you do everything you can not to bother anybody. And if somebody does send you a message, you're under no obligation to answer it until 1 p.m. And that's sort of what we call make time or office hours, where your focus is getting all your stuff done for that day. And then after 1 p.m. is when we have the meeting scheduled. And we do like uh, we do learning courses, too, and uh, training courses and all that kind of stuff. And all of that happens after 1 p.m. I like that. Yeah, no, it was great. It was, again, it's a Google video that was just really talking about how to manage, because you really are managing creatives, um, which is slightly different than just managing a normal logistical project. And you want to make sure that they all have however the time they need to get their work done without having to, because it, 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 especially with Slack, it escalates really fast. And then you have Jiffies going back and forth, just or Giffies or Iffies, however you choose to pronounce it. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's funny because I, I do a similar thing where I try not to make appointments and phone calls before lunch, where I'd really like in the morning just to be able to get work done. But I think I'm a very small company with with the number of people you guys have. That's pretty impressive that you could say company wide, we're going to do our best not to bother each other until 1 p.m. Yeah, like obviously, like if, uh, the more responsibility you have, the more the higher the chance that you will be bothered because something will break and, you know, breaks go up the chain. Uh, so if, if if the servers go down, you know, obviously you're going to get bothered. Or if there's some big problem with something, like the articles don't go live, you'll get bothered. But it's just those things where if you eliminate the the, the routine drudgery of it, it just it eliminates so much of the overhead. I want to thank our longtime sponsor, the Omni Group, and take a moment to talk about Omni Outliner version 5. And you can learn more over at omnigroup.com. So whatever is on your to-do list for the summer, whether it's taking notes for a class, making lists of things to do, brainstorming your next great idea, outlining a new novel, Omni Outliner is for you. And their new Essentials version is available for just $9.99. That's right, less than 10 bucks. Omni Outliner version 5 Essentials is the best way to get your writing and outlining done. They have a full screen mode, and depending on your preference, is the toolbar can even disappear too. 
You can turn on typewriter mode, keep your text centered and at eye level, use document zoom so everything stays readable, and it even adapts to your theme's colors with dark mode. It is the ultimate distraction-free outlining environment. It comes with advanced features like keyword filtering, document statistics, a resource search, touch bar support, dark mode, and more. And if your mind works like mine and you think in terms of linear outlining, Omni Outliner is the tool for you, and it's just $9.99. The best part is, if you have any previous version of Omni Outliner, upgrades are available for just $4.99. If you need more power, you should definitely check out the Pro version. This allows you to create perfect outlines with a powerful, more productive app. It is your all-purpose tool for Mac with additional features like smart columns, scriptability, custom style templates, and a whole lot more. The pro version of Omni Outliner starts uh, at $59.99, but again, if you own any previous version of Outliner, you can upgrade for just $29.99. And don't forget, Omni Outliner has an iOS version as well, and you can take all of your outlines to go uh, using their document sync service, OmniPresence. So you can use their online sync tool, or it's completely open source, bring your own sync platform. Learn more, head over to omnigroup.com, and you can even download and start a free trial today. So thanks, OmniGroup, for your continued support of Mac Power users. I'd like to go back and talk about your writing workflows a little bit, because I, like I said, you write a lot. And I know that you're managing a lot of people, but you still manage to also get a lot of content out. And you said in the, the last segment that you do a lot of that in Apple Notes. Is that your main tool these days? It is now. I used to write, you know, back when I was young and stupid, I wrote in the CMS and you only have to lose so many articles before you realize it's yeah, a really you bad learn that idea. One pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah, and then I was writing in BB Edit for a long time, but you know that was sort of like bringing a, a bazooka to every battle. I just it, it was it's so much more than I needed, and also I started using Notes originally just to have a syncing clipboard, and then as Apple added functionality to it, it sort of became a syncing uh, like a syncing mind pad where I could put anything I wanted into it, and it would just be on every one of my devices. Uh, and then because it was so convenient, I started writing in it. And there are things I don't like. I wish there was a plain text mode. That's what I really miss from BB Editor Text Wrangler. It's because I just want plain text and it tries to format it uh, and bothers me. But the sync is good enough that I that I put up with it until I can get that radar finally on somebody's desk. How, how many notes do you have in Apple Notes at this point? I don't know. Does it tell you? To look. Um, probably... I, I delete them though because I don't I don't want to have to sort through tons of them. So it says I have nine hundred and twenty three. I've probably deleted about six or seven times that number. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I I use it too. I I I treat it not so much as a text bank anymore. I used to, but but I do have a lot of notes in there. And we've heard from listeners that say at about two thousand things start to break. But um, that was when it first released, and you know the first resurrection of notes i don't know if there is a breaking point for it at this point i don't know either i just don't want the overhead like, I, I don't I, I got to this point where if i could throw something away and not regret it i was gonna throw it away well, i mean once it's published do you need it anymore i do the same because I, I read a lot of stuff in ulysses and once it's the briefest filed or the, the the blog post is up i i delete it i mean there's good riddance yeah, and, and I will sometimes use it as a way, if there's an article that I later change and I want the original version, I'll just paste it into notes because then again, it'll be anywhere and I can refer back to it. But other than that, I don't really worry about it. They they have fixed a lot of problems with notes over the years. I mean, since it, since it had this refresh, uh, the font sizes are better on the Mac. I'll tell you one thing that just makes me crazy about it is they have different keyboard shortcuts for the iPad and the Mac. 
I don't not understand that. <laughs> I just don't get it. I mean, I, uh, Adobe cured me of that uh, for I, for years. I had to deal with Adobe having different shortcuts for Photoshop as I did Illustrator, and I just some point I got to learn helplessness. And I know them now, um, by by muscle memory. And for some reason, the the, the muscles work on the right devices. But I couldn't tell you sitting here what they are. Uh, totally true. Totally fair. Yeah, I, I want as much consistency as a user facing feature. The less someone has to think about how something is done, the more they're going to spend time just doing it. So I, I hope all that stuff gets sort of normalized. What are, what, are there any sticking points for you with Apple Notes at this point? I uh, just that it's not plain text. I mean, that's my biggest annoyance. Like, I don't want a bulleted list. I don't want. A, I don't want a numbered list. I just want you to let me enter the text, and it does so much reformatting on its own that. Like, I can't just paste a link into it. I have to actually go and get the text form of the link and paste it in. And So when Apple gives you an iMac and says, hey, uh, you know, we'd like you to publish on this, or you can publish on this tomorrow, uh, you just go in Apple Apple Notes, and would you do an outline first with text, or do you just start typing? Uh, it, for a big review, I'll sort of put the headers in that I want to cover, because I don't want to forget something, because uh, I'll just start writing, and I might forget that there's this whole section of the review that I need to do as well. So I'll generally go, like for the iMac, for example, I'll take all the things that have changed. Like now it's got Skylake, it's got the new um, Iris Plus graphics, it's got a you know 10-bit um, 10-bit color to the T-Con, all, all the things that I know I want to hit on. And I'll put, I write in Markdown because I'm, uh, Mobile Nations, all the, the CMS runs off of Markdown. Uh, so I'll, I'll just put, you know, the, the double hash marks in, put my, my H2s in, uh, and then I'll start filling out those sections. But you're, it's rich text in Apple Notes. I ignore that. I, I treat it as though it were plain text. Okay. So will you just copy and paste it into the CMS and it accepts it as text at that point? Yeah, so uh, our t- we used to have these ridiculous rich text editors, and I hated them, and the developers hated them because you know if you make HTML errors, it can destroy a page, but if you make text errors, you just see a bunch of weird characters. So I managed to convince them to shift everything over to Markdown. So just the the main window of our of our CMS, you just paste plain text Markdown into it, and it does everything else. It'll even convert links to like we don't have to. We the goal with iMore was or with all of Mobile Nations was to make sure the writers didn't have to do anything but write. So it'll automatically do like affiliate links for iTunes or for Amazon or anything. All they have to do is make sure the text is in there. When you write it in Apple Notes, you're not putting any links in, right? You're just putting the text into the CMS and then... No, I do the links and everything. Like I'll do, uh, you know, open square bracket, type of what it is, close square bracket, open parens, paste in the URL, close parens, and then keep... I, I used to write... When I used to be a web developer before I was in marketing, and I would you just used to writing in Coda or before that in Notepad. Uh, and I would just write websites in text. So I, I, it, I've learned to parse that stuff. And it doesn't bother me writing just Markdown. Markdown is like way easier to write than HTML. What would you say is your your average, you know, length of reviews? Obviously, when you're doing a big review, I mean, those can probably get into thousands of words. Is it fair? But do you, do you have a target length that you shoot for? And does does whether does that ever change your process at all? Whether you're doing, um, you know, something fairly short for the site or whether you're doing something more long form? Yeah, I am the world's worst person in, in figuring out how, you know, how long a review is going to be, because like I, I sat down to just write the preview for um, iOS 11 or for macOS High Sierra, and I thought it'd be around 2000 words, and they both ended up being 6000 words. Uh, so I, I, I sort of just write until I've said what I want to say, and I have learned to be better. You know, some people really like I think there's sort of like a a nerd medal of achievement given to people who write a lot of big long reviews and I've done 
a couple of my iOS reviews in the early days, they broke, they literally broke our CMS because they were too long and we had to sort of code around them because they were up, you know, 40,000, 50,000 words. And uh, at a certain point, my boss said, you're, you're doing a disservice to the reader because you're giving, you know, they want to understand something and you you want to talk and those all aren't always aligned. So now I try to, like last year for my iOS review, I linked out to a lot of the how-tos instead of covering everything possible in the review. And I sort of I sort of have come to appreciate Walt Mossberg a lot recently because I've been thinking about him when he retired. About Because you know, some people in tech industry sort of looked at it and like, yeah, that's really casual or that's really light or it's really fluffy. But he had a way of distilling down what was really important to people and putting it in a context that they could really understand. And I can't do that yet. I'm not, I guess I'm not a good enough writer yet. I'm still taking way too long to get to the point. Um, but I am thinking continuously about how I can make my writing shorter and more accessible uh, to people. And when you come up with an idea or something you know that you want to write on the site, I mean, do you have like a, a bank of ideas that you, you know, I'll, I'll write about that one day, I'll, I'll add that to the bank. And, you know, when we're light, I'll come back to that. Or do you just sit down and write them and crank them out? Uh, a little bit of both. So I have a hit list that I keep in Trello of articles that I, you know, when they occur to me, I put them down because I'm deathly afraid that I'll forget them. A lot of some of my process, the same way I use dictation for notes, is driven by the deathly fear of forgetting an idea. Um, so I want to make sure that I, I offload that into permanent storage out of my brain as fast as possible. And uh, I'll have this list that I can go to. Like I have a bunch of iOS 12 uh, feature requests that I want to get in because come September... They're going to sit down and start finalizing iOS 12. You know, like people like to do their wish lists right before WWDC, but that thing is cooked for half a year by the time WWDC is rolled around. So I want to get those done in September, and I have a bunch of those I'm already breaking out. But a lot of the times, uh, I mostly write op op-ed now and analysis, and that stuff is driven by what happened. So if I, I wrote about one password this weekend, and I wasn't expecting that, and then I wrote about iPhone 8. Um, and Apple trying to go higher on the price elasticity, and I wasn't expecting to do that. So the, that list gets shoved shoved down quite a lot these days. Well, I mean, that's part of the, the, the gig, though, right? I mean, things happen, and you need to be ready to talk about it, especially if you want to get into the editorial side. Yeah, and Apple is also a company where they don't give you a lot of um, heads up on things. Like, there, we, some companies we deal with, they'll tell you a month out what's coming, and they'll bring you in, and they'll do, like, a pre... Uh, I don't think it's a secret that, you know, for some Android phones... Before they even have the event, they've flown every reviewer in the world over and let them spend hours even shooting videos of everything they want to shoot for the phone before they've announced it to the public. And that just does not happen with Apple. So yeah. you have to be <laughs> very flexible. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I can't even imagine it. But every year, like this, Samsung will announce a phone at the same time the event begins, the embargo drops. So all the videos and hands-on and first thoughts go up. And just as a reader, I don't know what to look at anymore. I don't know whether to watch their event, watch the video, read the the first take. Uh, so I've come to appreciate that Apple sort of gives it to you in a very defined order. But you know, it is nice uh, from the reviewer side of it to have like sort of that certainty and to know weeks, if not a month out, what you're going to be doing and have all that time to do it. Yeah. One of the things I'm hearing from you is you guys have chosen a lot of like um, uh, platform agnostic tools, you know, Trello, which is a web service or Apple Notes, which can work on any Apple system. And so you've got this this workflow that involves tools that can be done on iPhone, iPad, or Mac, basically anything. How does that overall work balance work for you between the various Apple platforms with all this work? It works. Great. So we don't dictate the actual writing tools. Right? So some, like uh, people who work on Windows Central tend to work in Microsoft Word just because, you know, they've, they've grown up using it. 
Uh, and I think some of the Android Central people write in Google Docs or in something else. And we have some people who write in, you, know, you said Ulysses, or it could be that, or it could be you know, one of a number of you know, AI writer or one of a number of apps. Uh, I just work in notes because, again, to me, it's, it's already built in. And I, I reinstall my stuff often enough that whatever I can have that's default, it, it just saves me a, an extra step in reloading a bunch of stuff up. So for me, it's great because I, I can literally do anything from anywhere that I am if I just have my iPad with me. I'm working the same as if I have my MacBook Pro with me, as if I'm walking through a mall again, or, you know, and something goes wrong and I have to quickly edit something. I made a typo in an article, someone on Twitter called me out on it. I can just go to my iPhone and change it um, and not have to be dependent on being on a specific machine at a specific time. Well, how would you say that works out for you, though? I mean, do, do you do most of your writing on your laptop? Yeah, like it, it, I am still fat. I, I am sort of. So the right way to say this is I'm not iPad native. Like there's, I think there's a whole generation of people who are growing up to be iPad native, but I've been around traditional computers uh, for decades. And it's, I, I just, they, they're part of me, like using OS 10 uh, now Mac OS, it's just, it's a part of me. I'm so fast at doing, it, I don't even think about it anymore. Where on the iPad, it's fine. I can work perfectly fine there. Um, I'm just not as used to it. Uh, it's, it doesn't feel like what I grew up with the same way a Mac does. So I'm fastest on a Mac. You know, that said, I wrote, I write all my iOS stuff on iOS because I feel like that's more integral to the experience. And I tend to write my Mac stuff on Macs. Um, but when I am in front of a Mac, I, I just, I've been using Photoshop for 20 years. I've been using, you know, OS 10 since it came out. Uh, and it's, just, sorry, I keep calling it Mac OS since it came out. Uh, and it's just a very natural experience for me. And you guys do most of your photography through website, at least you do, just using the iPhone, right? Yeah, uh, again, I was using a, a Canon Mark, uh, Canon 5D Mark III up until September, up until a September event. And then I switched to iPhone 7 Plus, and it's been great. It has been interesting lately because the Serenity and I had this problem. Uh, actually, you were there when we were doing it. We were shooting some of the video for the iPad 10.5 review, and Serenity brought that video over, and it was in a it was on, it was in Hecfa, uh, you know, Hefka, sorry, whatever, H.265. And the version of macOS didn't understand it. And the pictures we shot were in high efficiency image file format and the Mac photos didn't understand it. We hadn't updated that yet. So it, it was momentarily uh, dis disconcerting, but you know, all of that is sort of flattened out again. Yeah, I, I really do think that, I mean, I, we don't want to give that today too much, but I think those new file formats are going to be really a nice thing, especially in the age of, limited space SSDs and, and just the increasing reliance on software to make good pictures. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Daylight, the Mac CRM and project management app for busy teams. Get 50% off your first month's subscription when you tell them you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. I know we have a lot of listeners that run small businesses, and I bet a lot of you are relying on spreadsheets. You know what I'm talking about. You've got a spreadsheet to manage your customers and a spreadsheet to manage leads and all these different spreadsheets you're working on. Daylight is the application for businesses that have outgrown the spreadsheet. For those of you who don't know about Daylight, it's been around for 15 years. Daylight is a Mac CRM that helps you get new business and deliver on your promises. Whether you're contacting new leads or reviewing your list of past clients to see who's in need of your services, Daylight helps you track everything. From a single lead or a client, you can see every email, every booked or upcoming appointment, who referred them, pending business deals, active projects, even future follow-ups. From a single project, you can see all the important emails, attached files and documents, project notes, completed tasks, as well as upcoming tasks, and who's responsible. 
Are you getting this? This is way better than a spreadsheet. Daylight also has custom pipelines so you can visually track the stage of each project. The Daylight team is always coming up with new ways to help Daylight make its business more productive. They've recently added an easier way to schedule meetings and book resources in Daylight's shared calendar. They've also announced that they are adding iOS email support natively right inside the application. I've seen some of the tests of this and it looks amazing. So if you're looking for a mature, reliable system to manage your business and getting rid of those spreadsheets, look no further than Daylight. Visit marketcircle.com slash daylight to start a free 30-day trial. And don't forget to mention you heard about Daylight through Mac Power users and get 50% off your first month subscription. Thank you, Daylight, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. So, Renee, you started a little before to mention video. You guys have been doing more videos at iMore. I won't say you do a ton of them, but I think when it warrants it, um, you guys have been cranking out some pretty good videos. When did that start? So I, I've actually done a lot less video just because I haven't had a lot of time. I really want to do it. I should do it. I had a blast. I have a coworker, Georgia Dow, who lives across town from me. And three, four, five years ago, um, you know, before YouTube was a thing, we started doing, we were tired of like boring accessory reviews. So we started doing fun ones. Like we reviewed the iPhone 4S, I think, in, in, in a Back to the Future car. And we took iPad cases and sledded down mountains with them. Uh, and we shot iPad case, iPhone cases up in rockets. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. And just as time went on and uh, my sort of managerial duties expanded, I- I've lost the time to be able to do that. Conversely, now there's a lot of social video and we have a lot of people who've grown up with social video on the team. And there are you know, people like Micah Sargent and Cella Lauruso who are very good at doing those fun, engaging videos that you see on Instagram or you see on Facebook. And we're trying to do a lot more of those. And Serenity's a video editor by trade. Like she was doing movies before she did uh, any of this blogging stuff. So she's really, really good editor. And she does the editing for all of our review videos, which we still try to do. Uh, so it, it was sort of, we've always done that. And I really want to get back to doing that. It's just a question of balancing everything. When you do shoot them, how are you shooting those videos? Are you still shooting those with iOS devices or are you using more professional gear? Yeah, so we stopped using, we had a lot of professional gear. Um, I, I think when iPhone 6 came out, we made a conscious choice to shoot with iPhone. Uh, and because it was getting to the point where I think it's when it started shooting 1080 well, and definitely when it started shooting 4K, because we could do a lot of interesting things with it. We started filming with iPhones. And now with iPhone, again, iPhone 7 Plus, with all the optical image stabilization and everything else they have in it. And you know, it's, it's just, it's become a great camera, especially when you... Uh, you know, Serenity has one. I have one. Maybe we have our old iPhone 6S Plus with us, too. Suddenly, you've got multi-camera 4K going, and that's super expensive and requires a lot of support if you're going to do that with traditional cameras. But with iPhones and a few selfie sticks and, you know, someone who can shoot as well as Serenity does, all of a sudden, you're making really, really cool video uh, almost, you know, just, just by yourselves. I, I posted a little video to my website, that new Glyph came out you know the new glyph iphone holder which is awesome and i bought the fancy one that came with the wooden handle so i was walking around disneyland just testing it out and i had it attached and i shot some video i put it up on vimeo and did a post on it and somebody wrote me accusing me of using a gimbal they're like this isn't really um a glyph you're using a gimbal right they thought i was like playing one on him and i said you haven't tried the iphone lately because the iphone image stabilization with video is pretty remarkable it's amazing. And, you know, we did a three-camera shoot um, 
in New York City a couple of years ago. And it was right when Final Cut 10 had come out and there was so much controversy about it. And people were complaining that you couldn't do the usual Adobe Premiere style editing on it. And that we didn't have an editor with us and we needed to edit this three camera shoot and get it up as fast as possible. And I called a friend of mine and within five minutes, he showed me how to do three camera edits in Final Cut because of all the sort of auto magicness that they'd put into it. And we had a, a, no one could tell that an idiot had (laughs) completely edited that movie and we got it up. And I think that's sort of like when you talk about a power user versus an empowered user and how Apple is slanting their software is when you go from an iPhone that you can then either edit on an iPad Pro that can do three 4K streams, which is what Serenity has been doing, or even on Final Cut on a Mac that can let you do all these things that previously were the domain of highly educated video professionals. It's it's really amazing what what a person can accomplish now. Oh, is Serenity doing some of the editing on iPad? Yeah, I mean, when we shot the, I forget which one it was, but we were in New York City. It must have been iPhone 6S or something. She was editing it on on the iPad Pro, and it was going really well. Well, I want to I want to take a minute and talk about some of your favorite apps and workflows because you do so much stuff. But but before we get to that subject, actually, you've mentioned Siri and Siri dictation several times through the show. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you're using Siri. Uh, I use Siri just, you know, almost as an assistant. And I'll say up front, it is incredibly frustrating. And I'll ask it to do something. It'll say I can't do it. Then I'll ask it again, and it'll do it immediately. And there's just no excuse for that kind of stuff. And I wish with every fiber of my being that Apple would hire a vice president of Siri experience, you know, or give it to Phil Schiller or somebody, you know, to, to make it a consistent service. But I've just grown to com- to depend on it. So I will you know, tell my phone to do all sorts of things for me, including uh, like all the HomeKit stuff is all hooked up for me. But mostly it's just... You know, I add things to, rem- if I have an idea for an article, I'll add it to reminders uh, because, you know, I can't use Siri yet. To add, at least I don't think I can use Siri yet to add it to um, to add it to uh, Trello, but I'll add it to reminders uh, and then I'll try to get it to, uh, you know, I'll, if I have to write a note, I'll tell Siri to take a note and I'll get it to do a note. Um, and all of that, sorry, I was, Siri is actually taking sure. a note because I said that Siri take a note. Now it just dictated everything that I said. <laughs> Um, now, now, do you use the dictation feature as well to like write, or do you type all the way? Yeah, as much as po- actually, Fernand and I were laughing because the iOS 11 had this bug where Siri was title casing everything, and we kept yes. sending each other messages, yes. and they were all title case. You're like, ah, we're using Siri a lot. Best bug ever. I know they they finally got fixed. Well, finally, but it, it got fixed with the most recent beta. But uh, yeah, Siri was Siri dictation for the first, I think, two betas with title case, anything you dictated. So it was rough. Yeah, no, it was, it was hilarious, but it was funny. Yeah. Well, if you're dictating that much, you should, you should really try out dragon anywhere. I, I have used dragon on the Mac. I used it for years. I just don't, um, it, Apple has the advantage of being integrated. And if I don't have to type or even launch an icon and if I'm driving or I'm, you know, across the room and I could just say the magic words and have it start doing it. Uh, it's huge for me. Yeah, but, but the nice thing about Dragon Anywhere is it doesn't have a timer. Like, you know, Siri stops after, I think, 45 seconds or something. And and Dragon Anywhere, you can talk for 30 minutes, and it'll just keep on typing, which oh, is I'll pretty t- nice. I'll give that a whirl. Do, do you use any of the other um, virtual assistants, or just do you stay in the Apple universe there? I have them because, I have, I, you know, again, I get, like, all the Nexus, and, and I got the Pixel last year. Uh, Google, Google Assistant and I have a, a checkered past. Like, I remember when they first put out... Um, the original version, it wasn't called Google Assistant, it was Google Now. 
And I went to enable it on my Nexus and it said, uh, please turn on web tracking. We need it. And I said, no, you don't. And they said, well, if you don't turn it on, you can't use Google. Um, you can't use Google now. And I'm like, that's completely a lie. And so I'm not turning it on. And I just did without. And I, I sort of the same thing happened with uh, Google Assistant where it wants access to information that just on principle, I don't want to give it access to. So it refuses to let me use a service. And we sort of just sit at each other giving, you know, giving massive side eye the entire time. Uh, but I've I've tried Cortana um, and I've tried, uh, we don't officially have Alexa in Canada. Amazon, you know, they, they said we'd have Amazon MP3 in 2008. We don't have that yet. So I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, but I've tried it with some of my U.S. friends. And I, I like Siri because it's not, um, it's not structurally dependent. I don't have to say certain things, certain words in certain orders to get it to work. And it, they've done a really good job at supporting international, like, like different countries and different languages. And you, and here it's a big deal because things like Apple TV can let you ask for a mo- an English movie in French, which is a really, really hard problem to solve because it doesn't really know when you're switching languages. It has to sort of figure that out on the fly. Uh, and they're starting to solve those kinds of problems. So I've had my best luck uh, so far with Siri. Well, as someone who spends a lot of time writing about Apple and and, you know, the, the industry, I guess I would say. There, there is this running commentary question right now. Can Apple compete in the idea of machine learning when their focus is, you know, consumer privacy and saying, we're not going to do this stuff on our servers. We're going to try and figure out how to do locally on device. Um, this year at the talk show live that we had um, in, in San Jose, uh, Craig Federighi was there and he had steel in his eyes. He said, absolutely, we can compete. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's sort of like they're tying one hand behind the back. I'm I'm super happy that they are because, like I said, I, I don't even use Google Assistant because of the creepiness factor. And I do think it makes Apple's job harder. But the, uh, two years ago in the talk show, Craig also said, we don't need to scan all your photos to know what a mountain looks like. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think we don't appreciate the cost of data. Data is so valuable that... Google and Facebook and all these companies will spend billions of dollars to get it. It's more valuable to them than money. And we just don't treat it that way. We give it away. And I think it's because, and I've said this before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but you see money coming out of your wallet. You see money coming out of your account. If you want to install like, you know, Gentoo Linux, you'll see time ticking away on the clock. You'll have a very big sense of what it's costing you. But data looks like it's free. They're not forced to make an animation of all your photos or emails being sucked up into their server or being data harvested. So it really feels like you're getting something for nothing. And that's seldom a really good deal. So I think it does. It absolutely slows Apple down. It does make things more complicated for them. But I'm really glad we have that as an alternative because some I think eventually we'll figure out how valuable all this data we've been giving away is and maybe regret that we didn't start to charge them back for the privilege of harvesting it. I've always felt like even if you're close, you don't have to be in parity. You just have to be close enough to work. Like the, the stuff in Apple Photos now is pretty great uh, where you want to search for mountains or dogs or whatever. And and I did not give anyone access to my entire photo library to get that feature. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same reason I don't, I, I store my photos in Apple Photos. I don't put them on Facebook. I don't put, I never put them on Google Plus. I'm not putting them in Google Photos. Just they're, they're my photos. And if they want them, they'll have to offer me something more than a free service to get them. 
Renee, you mentioned, uh, and it was kind of just in passing, but it brings up a good point. Well, we we don't have the Amazon Echo here in Canada officially. And we get a lot of comments from some of our listeners who write in and say, well, you, you always talk about all the stuff that you have in the U.S., but you don't think about those of us uh, who are in other countries, and maybe we don't have all the services that you do. So perhaps it's a good time to, to kind of address that issue. I know you spend quite a bit of time in the U.S., and, and you cover a lot of these services, you live in Canada, so I know you have access to many of the things, but where do you find are, are some of those gaps where Apple and other companies have maybe not done as well um, bringing services uh, in parity everywhere? Uh, I, a lot of it, I think, is a uh, licensing issue. So, for example, Apple did a really good job with Apple Music. They launched it in 100 countries, and most of the services just don't have anywhere near that scale. But that means getting the rights to all that music in all those countries, you know, Audio books have had that problem too. Printed books have had that problem. Right now, there's Apple News, I think, is only in the US and Australia, maybe the UK still. There's no Apple News in Canada. Um, and you can just go down the line, like Amazon has very few services. It took Google forever to get a lot of their services here. So it's just, it's one of those things where you sort of get used to. There's no, there's no HBO now, uh, as far as I know, outside the US, definitely not in Canada. Uh, and some of it is because they sort of license things out to uh, local broadcasters to have the rights to it, or there's different windows or different agreements. Or some people have told me it's incredibly complicated to negotiate the licensing. Uh, like some countries like Canada have Canadian content rules where they have to say that even if it's just playing Canadian ads during an American show, it has to qualify as a Canadian show. So I can't claim to understand the complexities involved in all of this. And I am appreciative that some companies really do a good job, or at least a better job than others at pushing the stuff through. But it, it, it is true that you sort of have a richness of content in the U.S. that you that is trickled out over a few other countries, and many countries just don't have very much of anything still. So, as a nerd, how much do you you know how much time do you spend getting around that stuff? I mean, like, do you VPN spoof or do things to get content that you wouldn't otherwise get? No, I mean, they they. I'm lucky in Canada that we have enough stuff that I've never felt compelled to do that. I know, like, the piracy, for example, in Brazil was incredibly high because for a long time. They didn't have a game store because they had to, Apple had to comply with Brazilian you know rules about games. And absent a game store, people went to all sorts of lengths to crack and get uh, iOS games. So it's sort of I have enough that I've never felt the need to do it. And also that kind of stuff solves it for an individual, but not a country. So I'd rather complain and complain and complain until those sorts of things are solved for everybody here. I want to pause for a moment to talk about SaneBox. You can start your free trial now and save $25 on any plan by going to SaneBox.com slash MPU. I know that you are hesitant to add yet another subscription service to your life, but I am telling you, SaneBox is a game changer. It took me two days of trying SaneBox before I immediately signed up for a two-year plan. I was that certain that SaneBox was going to forever change the way that I dealt with emails. And if you were even thinking about SaneBox, you can try it for two weeks for free. I don't think you're going to need that long. And they have given Mac Power users listeners the best credit yet. You can save $25 on any plan by using code MPU. So what SaneBox does is it learns what email is important to you and it filters out what isn't. It works with all kinds of email programs and services. You don't have to have a special app. You don't have to use a particular email program. And it does amazing email filtering. It puts in your Sane Later folder those emails that aren't particularly important and keeps in your inbox only those that matter. The Sane Black Hole is great for unsubscribing to those emails that you never want to hear from again. 
And one of my favorite features is the ability to snooze emails. So this is great for deferring emails that you want to deal with, but maybe just not right now. So if you're on vacation, snooze them till you get back. Or if you're done working for the day, throw those emails into the snooze folder and get back to them your next business day, or maybe when you come back from the weekend. And you don't ever have to worry about, did you reply to an email or did you forget to follow up on something? Simply copy the email to one week at sanebox.com or three days at sanebox.com, whatever you want to. And if the receiver doesn't reply, you'll get a reminder at the specified time to follow up. And you can pick any time you want. Sanebox does so much more than filtering and snoozing. They will even do things like sort your attachments for you, move them to Dropbox or another cloud service. The list of features goes on and on. The best way to learn more is to try it. Get a 14-day free trial now by heading over to sanebox.com slash MPU. And thanks, Sanebox, for your longtime support of the show. So, Renana, what a busy guy you are. Um, I'd like to impart a little wisdom on the the listeners. I, I know you've got some great workflows and, and apps that you love that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, what are some of your favorite ways of getting work done on your Apple stuff? So I, it's going to be almost counterintuitive in that, as I, like I said, I've made a conscious effort to use fewer apps less often over time just because I found that I went through a phase where I sort of had a dedicated app to do everything, and I would... Again, I would use Coda to write websites in, but I would use BB Edit to write plain text in. But I would use uh, you know Google Docs or Word to write uh, formatted stuff in, and it just it seemed to always grow, and it, it's it's more management. It's like that old joke of gym gym club memberships. You know, it's like the, I felt like to do apps after a while were like the modern version of gym memberships, where the next to do app will finally get me organized. Uh, so now I tend to use a lot of the built in features. As boring as that sounds, there's just uh, a simplicity to integration where I really love uh, OmniFocus and I used Apigo to do for a long time. And I, you know, I, I, I dearly love a lot of things those those do, but just my ability to tell Siri to add something to my reminders list was, was exactly what I needed. I do still use Fantastical because it's just so much better. It's so much faster than the built-in calendar application. And I love that, you know, Michael Simons and crew figured out a way to sort of Moriarty Apple, who's so busy Sherlocking so many other apps uh, <laughs> that I really sort of, and there's certain apps that I do that. Uh, so on iOS, most of the time it's default apps. I use TweetBot just because the built-in, the def, the official Twitter client is incomprehensible to me at this point with all its And always and changing. Things. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of that Alex Lindsay thing where he's like, I am trying to do a hangout with the president of the United States and you are moving buttons around on the screen while I am trying to press play. You know, it's yeah. just, <laughs> interface should not be that dynamic. Um, so on the Mac, I use way, way more custom apps. Like I, I depending on what I'm doing, like, you know, Serenity taught me how to use uh, Rogue Amigo's Audio Hijack to sort of record the Apple conference calls. And we were doing the, I was helping her with the transcription once and you could just record it and pause the live audio and write and then play it again. Uh, I use Call Recorder and Photoshop and, you know, just, uh, I, I don't want to call them legacy apps because I think that's unfair to them, but it's just apps that I've grown up using on the Mac and I've never found a reason to sort of ditch them and they really aren't good replacements yet. But I'm using, I, when Aperture ended, I never really went to Lightroom. I just started using Photos. Um, and Photos just solved a huge problem for me because uh, right-click sent to Photoshop as horrible a workflow as that is was always my go-to for photo editing because again I grew up in Photoshop um, and they didn't they just didn't have that so I would drag it out and lose everything and put it in if I really had to and now I can right click and open in Photoshop again um, 
So my Mac is sort of like a, a time machine of device of, of programs where I have Final Cut because I, I graduated that from iMovie and Logic and everything. But on iOS, I'm using almost all default apps now. Uh, and I do regret it because in some cases, you know, they're not as good, uh, but their default Apple still uh, rewards the default apps with functionality that I can't get from the other apps. And it's worth it for me not to have multiple apps to do the same thing and just sort of suffer through some of the built in ones. Yeah, I just went through a big experiment with this app called Bear, which is a notes app which for, for Mac and iOS, and it's really well done. And there's so much to like about it. And it's got tags and a bunch of features that Apple will probably never add to Apple Notes. But ultimately, I ended up back in Apple Notes because it's just so integrated to everything, especially on iOS. I mean, Apple Notes has got hooks that no other app does. I felt the same. I was using uh, Vesper because, you know, I love Brent and John and uh, and Dave and uh, their app was gorgeous. It was beautiful. Um, but, it, you know, th- they never finished all the sync stuff for it. And also notes got improved around the same time they started decelerating on on Vesper. And it was just an easy thing to transition to. So maybe one of the reasons you get so much done is you don't go after everything that's new and shiny every time. No, like I'll I'll look at it, uh, and you know, we we have many mutual friends who make fantastic apps, and I'll look at it. And for example, I use Twitterific on my iPad and Tweetbot on my iPhone because on my iPad I tend to just want to read Twitter, and Twitterific is a really good reading experience. Where on the iPhone I want to triage Twitter, and a unified timeline is not the best thing for me on that. There's like I want to I want to have all. I know they've added them to Twitterific. Uh, but Tweetbot replaced Tweety for me, which was sort sort of like what it what felt like if Apple made a Twitter client, and it just it had those features, so I started using them. And I, I changing now just seems like it'd be a lot of mental overhead. Uh, so I do vary somewhat between the devices, but overall I keep falling back onto defaults. You know, one last subject I'd like to ask you about. Um, I I was talking to a friend, a Canadian friend, recently. And uh, she was talking to me in Slack. She said, I, I, it's too late for me to get my mail. I said, what do you mean? She says, whenever I go out this late, um, it's so cold that my eyelashes freeze and then I'm going to break <laughs> off again. Yeah. <laughs> the again is what got me. <laughs> I mean, um, as someone who loves technology, you're in this super cold weather up there for half the year. Um, what are some tips and tricks for folks that, that need to, like from, I'm from Southern California. I don't even understand what I would need <laughs> just, to do. Just for the record, it hit 104 here today. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Montreal is interesting in that I have to do some math to try to figure out what Fahrenheit is, but we go from like below zero Fahrenheit to around 90 uh, Fahrenheit over the course of the year. And it's an island, so we've got like 100% humidity. So what I noticed the difference here is that if you're cold in the shade, you're cold in the sun. And if you're hot in the sun, you're hot in the shade. You're sort of done one way or the other. Um, One of the biggest tips I can give people, which is sort of counterintuitive, is your iPhone hates heat. Heat is an enemy of the iPhone. Like the iPhone is incredibly thermal constrained. Um, don't put it. The temptation is people put it on the car in front of the vent. They have like a vent mount for it, or they come home and they put it on a shelf that's near the radiator. And that is a really good way to, to destroy the battery life on your device. And otherwise, you know, it'll go into panic mode and dim the screen if it has to, and then it'll black out the screen if it has to. But uh, heat in cold weather is actually the enemy for your iPhone. So don't don't fall into the bad habit of leaving it in front of a, of a heating vent or anything like that. Um, and otherwise, the advantage we have is that a lot of stuff is heated. So like we have gloves that have the capacitive fingertips, uh, which are nice. Or the, you remove the, like they're mittens, but you can remove the top of the mitten and you have fingers. 
And just to give people an idea, a few days a year, it's so cold that if you go outside, your face hurts. Um, so in, in that kind of weather, you're basically not worried about technology. You're bundled up and you're running from one warm place to another. So it's, it's not a huge issue. It's more when it starts to get like a little bit cold. And then things like AirPods are great because they go underneath your hat or a toque, as you know your French Canadian ancestors would call it. Uh, and you know you just listen to stuff as you're moving. You don't have to raise the phone to talk. You don't have to touch things. Siri is again great because you don't have to take your gloves off um, to do anything with it. Uh, and and in general, your other stuff like don't leave don't leave your computer in your car because they're aluminum and they'll get super 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 cold. Uh, and that takes a while. Yeah, I can you imagine it, it would actually could potentially damage it. Probably, but it certainly will make it untouchable for a period of time. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, by the way, 104 Fahrenheit is 40 degrees Celsius. Uh, a lot of those work just as well going the other way when it's super, super hot outside. Yeah, don't leave it in the sun. Don't, don't leave it in the car when it's hot outside. They just don't like temperature fluctuation. Yeah, that's the big thing in Southern California. If you have the thing in your window, like the sticker to your, you know, sticking your phone to your window, in the summer, if you do that, your phone will probably just end up shutting down halfway through your trip. There were these great pictures uh, of people in Arizona playing Pokemon with ice packs on the back of their phones. Yeah, <laughs> they couldn't yeah. leave. They couldn't go outside with their phone normally. Yeah, yeah. my um, my family has a, a lake place, and we were out there on the Fourth of July, and um, two of my my younger um, cousins were were there, and I I opened up the refrigerator to you know we're unpacking the food. And there are two iPhones sitting in the refrigerator. And I'm like, what the, why, why are these here? And and they're not, and I asked them because my first thought, and they've got condensation like dripping all over them. And I'm like, I don't think these are iPhone 7. So this is probably not a good idea. And so I asked the boys, I'm like, guys, are these your phones? Like, I, I shouldn't even have to ask because clearly they've got to be because they've got cracked screens and they're just sitting in the fridge. And they're like, yeah, the phones got too hot and they turned off. So we thought it'd be a good idea to put them on the fridge. And I'm like, OK, sit down. So that's something you shouldn't do. <laughs> let's let's have a conversation about this. Yeah, if those phones are gating, then they're doing it to survive. It's not a natural state for them. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Don't don't put your phones in the fridge, particularly if they have cracked screens. <laughs> or on the heater yeah. yeah in the winter there you go well you know if, if apple you know if all these rumors about face recognition comes through that actually may be good for for uh, folks like you you know you can't you can't get your fingers on the phone in the winter i mean the big rumors for both apple and google going forward is no buttons and no ports so you know in that kind of world we're going to see what kind of interact i mean the new the new pixel phone is already rumored to be squeezable like the htc 11 where there's no buttons on the side you just squeeze you squeeze it like an umpapa box to sort of get it to do things, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun and exciting again for a while. Yeah, that's cool. I I like that this stuff continues to evolve, and I also like that we can go to iMore any day of the week and find something out interesting from from Renee Ritchie. I'm so glad that you uh, we were able to get you on the show, and uh, we are not going to wait 387 episodes to get you back. Oh, so thank you. <laughs> you've been warned. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been, again, an honor. Long-time listener. Great great to be on the show. Yeah. Well, Renee, so people can find you over at iMore, iMore.com. What does iMore stand for? I mean, is there anything special there? Uh, it, it was a running joke for a while because when the site started, it was Phone Different, which was a play on Think Different. And then uh, we merged with the iPhone blog and then the iPad came out and people were incensed that we were writing about an iPad on a site that had iPhone in its name. So we switched to the initials, T-I-P-B, but then even my mom didn't know how to pronounce that. So we had the name iMore. I don't know why. We just picked it up at some point. 
um, we thought we were brainstorming ideas and we figured that it was like, you know, Apple was using I for everything, iMac, iPhone, iPad, iBooks, everything. We figured this was like, after you got all the Apple stuff, we'll help you with the more part of it, like with everything you do afterwards. So we went with iMore. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Where else can people find you online? Uh, Twitter. I'm at Renee Ritchie. I probably tweet far, far too often. And the same thing on, on Instagram. Great. All right. Well, that will do it for us. Uh, we want to thank Renee Ritchie for joining us. And we also want to thank our sponsors, 1Password, Omni Group, Market Circle, and SaneBox. And we will see you all next time. Bye.